0: 24-24 right now. She's obliterating the record. Alicia Barnall is about to 4 The only man in history to do it. Kara Gotcher. She wanted to do this about. It was important to her. Erin Duluth. How sweet it is. Her arm raised in triumph. Welcome, everybody, to the Gearing Up for Grandmas podcast, brought to you by Essentia Health. Hello again, everybody. I'm your host, Peter Graves, and as always, thank you so very much for being with us. We really appreciate it. Now, registration for the 2023 Grandma's Marathon weekend opens in less than a month. Unbelievable, and we're excited about it. We're kicking off season three of our podcast with somebody who uh, has become a regular Fixture of the race weekend here in uh, Duluth, and uh, we welcome to the show uh, U.S. Olympian and now professional broadcaster and racing analyst. She herself has a wonderful uh, podcast, uh, which I always enjoy. And uh, so we welcome uh, Carrie Tullifson. Carrie, uh, great to have you with us today.
1: Thanks, Peter. I am so excited to be on this podcast. You know how much I love the Grandma's Marathon and everyone involved. So it's an honor to be
0: here. Well, and, and uh, as I said, uh, we're, we're uh, flipping this uh, where now uh, I get to question you this time. So uh, we, we got a lot to cover. So let's uh, dive in. A lot of us not ready for summer to be over. uh, But uh, one uh, good thing that fall brings is registration time for grandma's marathon. Other than race week, this has to be one of the most exciting times as we get set to welcome another group of runners to the Twin Ports and Northern Minnesota. So, Carrie, we begin by um, what might you say? And you're very encouraging uh, uh, to somebody who maybe is on the fence about registering for Grandma's Weekend. Uh, and uh, what can you say that would push him over the top to sign up?
1: Yeah, you know, for me, I always talk about Minnesota, regardless of races or um, anything else like that. But when somebody meets me, they obviously can hear that I'm from Minnesota because I have a really thick accent. Um, I also just love to bring people to the state. You know, the one thing about Grandma's Marathon and Twin Cities Marathon and all the marathons that we have here is that they're beautiful whether they are run in the fall or the summer or the spring. I mean, it just seems like it's absolutely gorgeous. And yes, if you're a veteran marathoner or a first timer, grandma's marathon is one of the places that I tell everybody about. It is this big marathon in this small town feel, right? I mean, Duluth has so much to offer. It is such a wonderful place to visit, but it also is one of those places where you really love to run, you know, the, camaraderie among all of the athletes, whether you are fast or you are bringing up the rear. It is just an exciting weekend, and I think that it is a great race, whether you are starting your journey into 26.2 or you have done 100 of them. It is just some, someone, somewhere that you won't forget, and I think a lot of people agree with me.
0: Oh, for sure they do. Uh, of course, you've got the uh, big inland sea in, in the majestic Lake Superior um, it, 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 the, the course I think is, uh, well, it's friendly for elite runners, but it's also friendly to first time marathon runners as well. Um, and, and often we have a nice cooling breeze. Um, um, uh, we, it, it can be warm, but, uh, but not always, it's usually kind of ideal running for a first time, uh, marathon runner.
1: Yeah, my best friend, actually, she's from Alabama now. She came and ran her very first marathon. She and I ran in the Olympics in the 1500 meters together. She ran for Canada. I ran for the U.S., but she picked grandma's as her very first, and she loved it. But I did say to her, I said, bring everything. Bring a puffy coat and bring a tank top because you never know what you're going to need to wear to the start line. And, you know, that was exactly this past year. I mean, we had really warm temperatures The night before, when I ran the 5K, it was hot. And then by the next morning, it had cooled down. We had a really nice tailwind for the athletes. So sometimes you even get lucky and you get pushed to the finish line like they did this year. But it is just a wonderful event. You see fans along the entire course. You have people that are so excited to be there. Some people have run every single one of them. And, you know, we just have a lot of big names that come back to share their experiences or just to rub shoulders with people. And, yeah, it's it's pretty spectacular what we have going on in Duluth.
0: So, Carrie, you become a staple of Race Week, close to two decades now that you've been in the lead media vehicle covering the women's race. Uh, it, it may sound like a silly question, but uh, what keeps you coming back. You have the pick of great assignments. You've done network television. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But um, uh, I'm thinking it must be the joy that is felt. And I'll say one more uh, thing about it. I mean, I can't get enough Minnesota where I I used to live. Um, But you look at outside magazine polls and, and, uh, and other polls. And Duluth always is among the top 10 and often higher than that, for a great outdoor city. Not only running, but trail running, mountain biking, cross-country skiing, so many things that um, uh, I think if people have never been to Duluth, they they end up coming here and they're really, really surprised uh, what they've discovered up there, and then they keep coming back.
1: Oh, for sure. And, you know, I always tell people that are traveling in from afar – you know, make it a week because you won't want to leave, you know, just after a, a long weekend. You want to go and explore the trails and see the beautiful scenery that Duluth has to offer. I mean, it's kind of in Minnesota, it sort of feels like our mountain town, right? I mean, we have the hills, we have the the forest, we have... Lake Superior. I mean, it's just gorgeous. And now people are catching on. And my husband has been asking me to move for years. He would love to move there. And now, you know, you're hearing that it is one of the safe cities to come. And so why wouldn't you want to go and run a marathon in this place that has a beautiful climate for one, but also just great air to breathe in and out and to look around. And so, yeah, I mean, it is kind of that I always say it's like a wedding, right? Like I have one wedding every year that I need to be at. And that is that weekend it's in Duluth. And it's also has uh grandma's marathon around it. Like I tell everyone, don't even ask that weekend is mine to go up to grandma's week, grandma's marathon. And um, every year I just love it. You know, my whole family comes with me. It's chaotic because there's a lot of things going on. Usually my entire family comes. So I have my mom and dad and sisters and their husbands. And it's a, it's a wild weekend, but we wouldn't miss it.
0: And we stay in the same hotel and have for a long time. And one of the things that you have this very elite career, you're NCAA champion as well. And we'll talk a little more about that as we go along, but um, you have made it a family event. You know, you bring your, your boys with you. Your husband is there. I love how you're able to uh, kind of weave um, uh all the pressures that go into announcing a race, but it's also a family event for you. I think that's really sweet. I really do.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's really fun for us to do that. My husband was actually born in Duluth, so he likes to claim Duluth. He was there with his mom when she was still pregnant, visiting his aunt. He was born there and then they left, but he claims Duluth. So, um, you know, but yeah, we we go up. Quite often just to have a a weekend up there, but every single year, actually my daughter and my two sons, they, they love my daughter started racing up there at the whippersnapper races. And, um, now she's running the 5k here and there. So yeah, it is just, you know, I can't say enough about the race. I can't say enough about the weekend, but what I really love is the people, you know, we go back to the same hotel. I know everybody at the front desk and if they're new, we get to know them. And then, you know, they're there the next year when we are at the lunch the media luncheon we get to see old faces and see all the people there when we're at the start line we see the timers and the volunteers we see grandma herself at the finish i mean everyone knows your name peter and they know your voice so it's just i once people go they continue to go and so it feels like a family reunion every year
0: yeah. Well, I love your, uh, mention of family reunion because grandma's is like a family and every year it feels that way. I mean, we pick up right where we left off, you, Dick Beardsley, Mike Pinocchi, who joins me at the finish line, Chad Somala, They're all fantastic people. Uh, and, um, they're part of what makes the race so successful because we have live TV and live radio, uh, coverage. And, um, it's just, um, now you've worked with a team and and um tell me a little bit about how that feels. My 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 thought is every year that we do this, we get better as broadcasters, better as storytellers. Um how how does it seem for you?
1: I definitely agree. I mean, even learning the course, the ins and out, you can continually learn things about the course. And we watch it from the lead vehicle, as you said. So I'm looking out backwards almost. You know, I have my back towards how you're running. Um, but it's so interesting to watch the ins and outs of everything that Dakota Linworm has done the last two years. I have the honor of watching her right there. I have front row seats along with Chad Somla, who is one of the best color commentators we've ever heard in sport. And so. Yeah. And he is a scientist and he loves learning about all of what goes into the body and what comes out of the body, you know, when we're doing endurance events. So yeah, it's just been an honor to be on that team and, and, you know, behind the scenes, the cameramen, the, the audio guys. I mean, it takes a lot to put on a production like we do at grandma's marathon and we're constantly learning and striving to be better. And so, um, it's been really fun to be on on the broadcast. I love seeing Dick Beardsley and Charlie every year. I mean, it's so fun. Like, I don't know. Every time I call my mom, my accent comes out. And then anytime I talk to Dick, my accent really comes out. So he's just like a big brother to, I mean, to thousands of people, right? I mean, he treats me the way he treats everyone he meets. And that is just like, he's known us his entire life. And so, yeah, we're pretty, we're pretty lucky up there.
0: And when, you know, when you see these people, uh, I I would say uh, because there's always like a Carrie Tollefson fan club that's in the lobby. Uh, Pinocchio stays there. Uh, Doug Curtis, I'm there. And uh, it just, we want to be open to the fans. I mean, because they're everything to us, you know, that, um, we, we tell the story of this great place. We tell the story of uh, a fantastic race and at the elite field, uh, they're always, you know, world-class runners there. So it's, it's like the Kentucky Derby or the 4th of July all wrapped up into one. It's an event that offers something for everybody. And what do you think about when you're talking to the radio audience out there because a lot of people are tuning in. It's a highly rated program. And um, what are you thinking about? Uh, what are you watching for? It would be obvious to say, okay, the, the, the lead guys, but, but I think there's more to it than that. What do you, what, what uh, floats your boat out there when you're calling the race that you want people to know about?
1: Well, I think we want to, you know, build this picture of what's happening in front of us. Whether it's just who's in the lead, what's happening, the moves that are being made, but also their story into the sport, how their training's going, what they do for a living. A lot of athletes now are working besides just running. You know, it's uh, it it's becoming more mainstream to see an athlete like Dakota Linworm or you know someone else that's in the race that has a full time job plus trains a hundred plus miles a week and is out there trying to win something as prestigious as a grandma's marathon. So I want to deliver that in a way that is understandable for people, but also that isn't so easy to understand that the, the hardcore athlete, the hardcore runner that's listening isn't getting the information that they want to hear too. mile splits, what's happening, why they're taking their fueling when they take it. So I have, it's kind of a hard um, line, you know, you don't want to be too technical, but you also don't want to be, too fluffy where it's just kind of, you know, are just talking to talk. So I try to build a picture and to show that these athletes are human beings, but they are out doing something that most of us would never imagine doing, you know, running five minute pace or 520 pace for 26.2 miles. I mean, that's pretty, you know, unimaginable for most people, but in the elite world, a lot of people understand what it takes to run a hundred miles a week or run a tempo run, threshold runs, run speed work, hill workouts, those things. so we try to do we try to do it all. We try to paint this picture that works for all of the audience.
0: yeah, well said, uh you mentioned Dakota um, so um this past year in the women's race, we had a repeat champion in Dakota Lindworm uh, for a while there, it seemed like she would perhaps set a new course record. That didn't happen, but she did PR by over four minutes. We won't know, of course, the uh, field that's there to challenge uh, her in 2023 until spring. Uh, But uh, what have you seen out of Dakota specifically as she's really risen uh, the ranks of big time female marathon runners in the last couple of years? What do you you see the magic being for her?
1: Well, I think part of the magic for her is grandma's marathon. You know, she's from here. She's from Minnesota. She's this hockey player, now runner. And, you know, talking, speaking of hockey, I mean, that's Duluth right there, right? We look at all the great hockey players from Duluth, but um, you know, when she came and ran her first Duluth marathon or her first grandma's marathon in Duluth, she was, she made a big spark. You know, she showed people she could do it. I believe she was fourth in her first one there and then she came back and won. And when she won the Grandma's Marathon, she changed. You could see the confidence in her brewing. You could see the the willingness to lead races like the Boston Marathon, right? The People's Olympics—that's what they call it. Um, She was leading that race in both this year and the in last year, which was in the in the fall of last year due to COVID. But when she came back this year, not only was she ready to attack and defend her title and repeat, um, she was ready to tackle that that record. And we saw it all the way until she hit that wind right at the deck with you know just over a mile to go really started to to get her and she had pushed on her own for those final miles and so I've really seen her become this gritty, powerful, confident marathoner and I think a lot of it has to do with grandma. She says she knows the course in and out. She she dreams about it, she visualizes it, she practices it and she really loves Duluth. She loves a grandma's marathon and you can see that in her. So, um, and we've seen that a lot of times with athletes, they've run grandma's marathon, or they've done the Gary Bjorklund half and they've gone to then the majors, which is like Duluth or excuse me, New York, um, Chicago, Boston, maybe overseas. And they've taken their experience from grandma's and used that in the majors and then come back and really nailed the next one up at grandma's. So, I'm I'm excited to see what she does. She's growing and um, she's excited. That's what it takes. An excited athlete.
0: And a shot at the Olympic team in Paris, possibly for her too.
1: Yeah. I mean, we have the world champs next summer and then we have the Olympic Games. So she's got two years before she has to qualify for that Olympic Games. It's going to come up fast.
0: I I want to talk a little bit about your career running at Villanova, but I also want to ask you, um, how did you get started in running? Um, Did you have a particular coach that motivated you, inspired you, or what's your story? Oh,
1: I had lots of coaches that I love, but I – I went out for the sport because I was the youngest of three girls and my two older sisters were runners and basketball players and musicians. And I kind of just had to follow suit with all of it. You know, I was the youngest and wanted to keep up. And so when I was a seventh grader, my younger of the two sisters were, she was still on the cross country team. She hated cross, but she was a really good basketball player and a really good hurdler. And so she thought she should use the endurance that she would build from cross country and it would keep her on the court and would help her in her long hurdles. So I tried to keep up with her. And in my very first race, if Cammy's listening, she knows this story, but I came up on her shoulder as a seventh grader, I was allowed to run varsity because I grew up in a town of 1600 people. We didn't have a lot of athletes and I came up on her shoulder and basically sat there for a second. And she turned to me and said, Carrie, get going like in words that I don't repeat. But I finished third in my very first meet, and I owe a lot to Cammie. She said, don't you let anyone dictate where you end your race or where you end in life. So she really kind of showed me to to dig deep and go for things, even if it was scary. And um, so, yeah, I started running that way, and it just sort of blossomed from there. I went to Villanova University and and ran at Villanova, and then I became a professional athlete. And it's just been an awesome, awesome ride.
0: What a gift she gave you, uh, you know, not uh, being protective of her own race, but actually saying, go for it. And, and there's beauty in those stories. And and, and so that's cool. Um, so um, when you were at Villanova, you were more of a, a, a middle distance runner in your prime. You won NCAA championships in the 3,000 and 5,000 meters. I hope I have that right as well as a couple of NCAA cross-country titles. Uh, The year you went to the Olympics in 2004, um, you ran 1500 meters, is that right? Um, So what is it then about the marathon that has drawn you in, Um, your view about it? Um, Because if you look at the pantheon of all sports, Um, the marathon, it also, it draws great ratings at the Olympics. Look at the world championships that we recently had in Oregon. Um, there, there's something magical and dare I say, even mystical uh, about, um, running a marathon. Um, what is it that has captivated you so in the marathon?
1: Well, so much Unfolds in the marathon, you know. I loved running the 1500 and the 5K. I still love running the 5K at Grandma's, but the marathon is—it's just a whole different ball game. And I started running the marathon after I had my second child, Everett, and I've only run three, so I'm fairly new as an athlete to it. But I have done so many race calls over the 26.2 mile distance that I feel like I know it very well. And I think what really draws me in is that so much happens. You know, you think, oh, a lot of people say it's the last 10K. Well, the story is really told in those first 20 miles. And then the climax is the last, you know, six miles. So I feel like for me as an athlete, it's been really hard to figure out. And I think a lot of athletes will say the same. You constantly are trying to, uh, you know, nail it. But that's part part of the fun. And then as a commentator, it's just been really cool to be able to share what is going on during the first 10K, what happens through the half marathon, who's looking good in that next, you know, eight miles from half marathon on, and then really, who's going to be able to, to show their grit and finish it. So I think it's the story that unfolds that gets me every time.
0: Now, uh, do you still looking, maybe looking back and how you hold your career, do you still personally prefer the uh, the middle distance as opposed to the marathon? Um, how do you hold that?
1: Yeah, you know, as an athlete now, I think I like doing the long runs. Um, I'm not so keen on doing all out 400s and 1K repeats and those kind of things, but I don't know. I mean, I think my talent was in the middle distance, but now you're seeing so many athletes, Peter, that are running 1500 meters and 5k on the track. And then there's dabbling in the marathon or the longer distances. And they're really showing that they have this great base and this great endurance and they can actually hold on and run very well in longer events. So when I was competing, you didn't see quite as many people have such a huge range That they do now. And I really think that's one of the reasons besides technology that we're seeing such fast times is that these athletes are so well rounded and they are so good at both speed and endurance and then mixing it and putting it out there in one event. So, um, you know, you see like a Sarah Hall or a Kira D'Amato. Kira D'Amato now, the new American record holder in the marathon, you know, she was a 1500 meter runner in college And she went away from the sport, had two children, her husband was abroad, he was in the service, and she started getting back into running. And now she's setting American records left and right and just finding herself in the sport. So I think athletes are just a little bit more daring and they're trying things. And it's really not only helping them in the long run with their ability and seeing what event is really their event, but they're really seeing that it's helping both sides of the spectrum, speed and endurance.
0: Right. And uh, you need both, of course. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, And, you know, there's so much, I mean, as we speak, so much technology going into running shoes now Um, and um, things like the Oregon project and, uh, you know, uh, there, it's just, it's a fascinating time to kind of live through seeing what's happening in, in distance running. One thing I got to say here, and I don't want to forget it. um, I'm guessing you'll be at the starting line at the uh, Irvin 5k on Friday night. That's always fun. You've won that race five times, the most wins of anyone in the events history. I'm guessing we're going to expect you back to the starting line for the Irvin this year again.
1: Oh, I kind of feel like I'm left out if I don't run it. So even though I'm not always breaking the tape anymore, I still kind of say, first, mom, I have like all these categories now.
0: (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Uh, That's awesome. So uh, another interest that we both share uh, is is the broadcasting portion of the sport. And for both of us, it's a chance uh, to give back. Um, A wise producer once told me, uh, um, Peter, um, you should strive to educate, inspire, and inform. And I always think, you know, through the power of our words and and how we say it and all that, that we might inspire some younger runners to a running career at whatever distance, we don't care, get out and do it. Just, just have fun with it. Um, So now, you know, You've covered not only Grandma's Marathon, but other big races, Chicago and uh, New York. You were at the uh, U.S. Track and Field Championships. Um, uh, what What is your general takeaway about starting to do stuff with the network? Because um, that's certainly a sign that you've arrived and honed your craft. There's also a lot of pressure. Because a lot of times, there are no second takes. You know what I mean? And um, how have you adapted uh, to broadcasting? And do you bring anything from your running career, your background, into broadcasting? Besides just the knowledge, but a discipline, uh, uh, doing a lot of research. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but um, let's talk a little about broadcasting, Carrie.
1: Yeah, I mean, even when you said that, you know, it's just it's another way for me to perform right when that gun goes off or that red light is shining right at your face. Um, it's, it's just another way to perform. And I've definitely used all of the lessons I use as an athlete. Um, I use now in the booth or on the mic and I love it. I love it. You know, it is high stress, uh, very high paced, you know, I'm, I'm a nice Minnesota gal and you know, it's, it's kind of at times it can get really really intense um but i love that i kind of thrive on that you know when someone says can you do this i'll say yeah i can handle it you know i'm not scared of a challenge and um so that's where broadcasting has been really kind of fun for me to be able to transition out of my life as an athlete and to still perform in a different way but also be able to talk about something i love so much and and talk about the athletes that i care about so much so It has been really fun. The research is very hard and it takes a lot of time. A lot of people don't understand that. And a lot of times there are people that will help with research, but then equally, or maybe even more times than not, there aren't people that are helping you do your research. So I've had a lot of times where you think it's just an hour long broadcast, but you spend a full week learning about the athletes and it's, you know, all sorts of events, whether it's a track meet or, a road event or whatever, you have to learn a lot about people. I'll wake up. I don't know if you do this, Peter, but in the middle of the night, I'll be thinking about so-and-so running thirty-one forty-one for the 10K or (laughs) whatever. And I'm like, why am I thinking about that? But it's just constantly thinking names, pronunciations, where they're from, what they're doing, who their agents are, what their times are. But I wouldn't change it for the world. It's been a really fun ride.
0: So I think um, getting ready to work on a, on a network broadcast um, you um, it's a little like arriving as a very fit athlete, elite athlete to the starting line. I mean, there are uh, jitters before, Um, you know, you're thinking about storylines, you're thinking about kind of descriptive uh, terminology that people will connect with. So there's a lot of prep work involved. And sometimes, and I know what a close family you are, um, sometimes you have to leave them behind. And I know that's not easy. Uh, It wasn't for me, and I don't think it is for you. But um, I am certain that they are completely supportive of what mom does.
1: Yeah, I think it's been really fun for them to see that I've been able to do this. I did it while I was competing. So, my husband was used to it. You know, I I traveled most weekends and he was really, really supportive then. And he sees how much I love the broadcast. And so he's been like 100% into it. Now, my kids, they see the joy I get from performing, they see the joy I get from meeting good people, which are runners. Runners are good people. And so, you know, even Ruby, my 12 year old is in seventh grade now. And she said, mom, I think I'm going to go up for cross country. And I stopped right there. And I said, not because of mom, right? Like, this is your choice. You're not doing this because of me. And she's like, no, I want to be around those nice people. And that in itself, I've done my job. You know, I want my kids to see that if you grow up with like-minded, goal-driven, kind people, You're going to want to do great things, just like the people around you. So, um, yeah, they've been 100% involved and also supportive. But Mary Wittenberg, I don't know if you know her, but she was the president of New York Roadrunners for many years. Um, She told me a long time ago when I was starting to have my kids and getting into the broadcast world, she said, work really hard while they're young because in those junior high years, they're really going to need you. And I didn't understand that because I was like, well, they need me right now to change their diapers, Mary. And she said, well, they're going to need you emotionally, physically, spiritually, all of that. They're going to need you in the stands. They're going to want to see that their mom and dad are there. And this is that time now where I need to be there for my kids. And I'm so thankful that I've worked really hard because now I can pick and choose a little bit more and I can be in the stands when I want to be in the stands. And I know Ruby will need that. And so will Everett and Greer. So yeah, we've loved it. It has been one big family outing to go to all these races, but they've loved it. So have I.
0: Yeah, that's cool. I I love to hear because I think we all try to seek it, not everybody achieves it and and to to do it all and do it really well is uh is a rare art. And I I think it's a testament to you and your husband how you're able to balance uh the time uh as being a mom and, and, and also working. Um, that's cool. Um, I wanted to ask you, um, because running a marathon, uh, uh, certainly at an elite level, but even at an entry level can involve some measure of pain. Right. And, um, the, the more fit you are, the less pain you tend to have, but an athlete that we know, well, a gold medalist in cross country skiing, from Minnesota, Jesse Diggins um, talks a lot about what she calls the pain cave. I just wanted to explore that a little bit with you because when I announced world cup skiing in the winter, I, uh, Jesse seems to be able to go where not everybody can go. How, how does one achieve uh, uh getting in that pain cave and sustaining it uh what are the factors do you think because you i'm sure you went through that too um do you i mean somebody once told me that you you learn of sorts to relish the pain cave because it um is a sign you're doing what you're supposed to be doing right now what's your take on that
1: yeah i mean jesse diggins wow what a superstar and what a woman that's so eloquent with her words. Like she can explain things that you know, are so fun. If you have not read her book, go get her book. Um, but I do think there's something about the pain cave. If there's something about us athletes and not just elite athletes, I think all of us are athletes in our own right, but we have to figure out how far into that pain cave you want to go. And I think we sort of thrive on that when you do see results and you see that it works to go there, right? You have to be smart. You have to prepare yourself. So preparing to go to the pain cave comes in practice. It's those dress rehearsals, those long runs that hurt every step of the way, the last half an hour, one hour that you're out there. It's learning how to visualize yourself and to get through that pain when you do hit it. Because let's face it, we're all going to hit the pain cave at some moment in our marathon, whether you're a two hour marathoner or a seven hour marathoner, you're going to hit that spot. So it happens in practice, and you have to constantly be practicing it and be willing to accept that you're going to get there and be kind of excited when you actually do, because that means you're really seeing what you're made of. Um, for me, I miss it. So I don't. I go to the pain cave at the 5K the night before, <laughs> but it's a different type of pain cave. I haven't practiced it as much. And so it's sort of like, wait, what am I doing? But when I was in the elite and then when I was really working at it, I went there weekly. And so athletes that are getting ready for their first marathon or, you know, if they're coming back to the grandma's marathon, I think you have to remember that. We all need to hurt at some point during the race. Now, it doesn't mean like your knee hurt or your, your heel hurts. It's a hurt that challenges you physically and mentally challenges you to keep going when you don't want to. It's like thinking, Oh, I'm, I live a mile from court from the course. Maybe I should just steer off and go home. It's no, I'm going to keep on going and get to that finish line. So yeah, when Jesse Diggins talks about it, it's um she's been probably to a different pain cave than any one of us will ever because she has won that gold and she keeps on going for it again. But I think we all have our own version of it and we all can get there.
0: Well said. Um, You have access uh, being a media person to some of the nations. And uh, in fact, sometimes, oftentimes world's best runners. Um, I I was going to ask you if you had either an anecdote or, Uh, a a kind of a short story about maybe interviewing somebody talking with them. What have you had a, an interesting fascinating experience as a journalist with somebody in particular that you might share?
1: Oh, I've had, yeah, so many fun ones, Peter. I mean, right away, I don't know why this image came to mind, but I remember interviewing the same bolt and he is, you know, I'm pretty tall. I'm like five, eight and a half. I like to say five, nine. I was five, nine on the, um, on the basketball roster. I think one year I was even five eleven. <laughs> um, but no, I'm not quite five, nine. But anyway, I remember interviewing this man and he is, you know, I don't know. I want to say he's seven feet tall. And my hand was almost reaching straight up in the air to get the mic to him. And when I was interviewing him, thinking, I am interviewing the fastest man that's ever been on this planet. And the way he spoke to the crowd was so cool. You know, he talked about his race, but he talked about, you know, more than what it was to just race and to run fast. And in that moment, I just realized like this, this guy's a human being. He's, he's kind and he's excited about what he's doing, but he's also excited about those young kids that are watching him and that was one of those interviews where I was like, Oh, I just got to do that. That's a pretty cool thing that's happened in my career. And I remember I was pregnant at the time too. And I was just all these, it was this kind of full circle moment, right? I was on the track still where it started. I had a mic in my hand, but I had a baby in my tummy and it was just like, it was a cool moment, but I've gotten to interview some of the, the best athletes in the world, but it doesn't always have to be the best athletes that give the best interview. You know, on my podcast, I've interviewed all types of athletes. I've gone for walks with different people. And um, I just think hearing about how people are excited about getting after life. That's what's so cool is seeing that, you know, they get out the door. Maybe it's three times a week, maybe it's 12 times a week, whatever it is, but they're getting out there. They're making it a priority. They're putting their health first and, That to me is, uh, you know, a really fun story to share.
0: Great athletes. Uh, Are they born that way? Or uh, so is it a genetic jackpot or can they be made?
1: I think they can be made, but I think there's something in an elite athlete that is different. I do. And I see that now. Um, You know, I, I look at the younger athletes that I've coached and you can see a difference. Um, but I do see some of these athletes that work their buns off and they see awesome results. So I don't think that people have to just say, Oh, my mom and dad weren't great athletes. I'm not going to be one. That's not the case. Uh, actually I was just watching Derek Jeter on, I think Netflix or something and one of the best. And they just said, you know, he would get his 200 hits in and whether there was a, you know, his best friend was waiting for him to get his 200 hits in, or he was done. He was, that was his thing. He was going to get it done. And I think elite athletes will get it done. And um, it's sometimes hard to coach, you know, like he, I don't really know how to, to explain to Ruby. She'll ask me all the time, mom, what did you run as a seventh grader? And I, I, it's hard as a parent to say, well, Ruby, mom was an Olympic athlete. I might've been, I might be different than you. I don't know how to. Teach that except for just teaching her to get out there, find what makes her tick in life. If it's fun, if she loves it, then don't get in her way. You know, don't get in Derek Jeter's way of hitting 200 hits every day. His friends didn't do it. His parents didn't do it. He did it. And he was bound and determined to do it. And I don't want to get in the way. So whether you're an elite athlete and you have it in you, or you're somebody that's going to get yourself there, just don't get in, in their way, you know, support everyone along the way.
0: I want to talk about the podcast in just a second, but I I I don't want to let the moment go because you're so knowledgeable and so articulate. Um I um I want to ask you a little bit about the mental side of sport. And in this case, I'm not just talking about a singular discipline. Um I was in Tokyo uh last year announcing bicycle racing. Uh and um we've seen people like Simone Biles the great swimmer, Michael Phelps, Um, last year, um, some talk at the Beijing Winter Olympics uh, about Michaela Schifrin, a great U.S. Alpine skier. Um, I think this talk of um, bringing mental health needs out in the open now is so healthy and so constructive because I don't think uh, uh, enough people have paid Attention to that aspect to me, absolutely as important as being physically fit and ready for a race. Um, so I think those people uh, forementioned are um, are are to be absolutely congratulated for bringing this discussion out into the sunlight. What say you about that?
1: Yeah, I do too. I mean. Mental health is so important for all of us. And for me, I think a lot of times that's why I still run as hard as I do. You know, some days I need to feel alive. And going out and running a three mile run at 6 30 pace makes me feel alive. It might hurt, but I'm like, huh, I can still run fast. And it lifts me like nothing else, to be honest. Um, and these athletes, you know, I think we need to hear them. And we need to understand that they have devoted a lot of time to this. And when they're hurting, It affects what they're doing. You know, you, you look at Simone Biles, who's flipping in the air like crazy. None of us could ever imagine it. Right. And if you're not 100% on, if you're not sharp in that moment, and she has an off day, things can go severely wrong, or she just doesn't want to do it that day. Right. She's just not herself. She can't go and perform the way she needs to perform. So I do think we need to pay attention to athletes talking about mental health. It is a great platform for people to understand that even the best, the best have it. And, you know, the regular people out there that aren't competing in front of thousands, millions of people on TV, they can relate to that. You know, even not going away from mental health and becoming a, a mom, people could relate to me differently then. You know, they can't relate to me as an Olympian a lot of times because I don't even know, you know, the percentage probably better than I do. What is it? One percent of the population in the entire world is an Olympic athlete. Like it's something crazy. And that is unrelatable. But knowing that someone else can be blue or can be nervous or have fear before they toe the stage or toe the line, that is important for us to share. And so I don't know what it is about athletics that really bring it out, but I think it's just the the performance thing that is scary for some people. And it really brings that mental health aspect into, into light.
0: And you have to do it while the camera is rolling. So a lot of people can see it. If you get the feeling Carrie and to our friends listening out there that I could probably ask you questions for two or three hours. Uh, that would be the case. I enjoy talking to you and, and, I find you very inspiring and um, um, I, I really, I do. But I guess maybe as I move to the final question, on top of all that you do, you've got a really highly acclaimed podcast that uh, talks mainly about issues related to running and fitness called Citali Run. It's actually uh, one of the most popular podcasts in its category. A lot of that has to do with your personality and the work you put in. Uh, What's the project been like for you, lining up guests and uh, having your own podcast show?
1: Oh, I love it, Peter. It is so much fun. And as you know, just getting to chat with people is just, it's like my favorite thing to do. So I feel like once a week, I get to have a great conversation with an old friend or a new friend. And, um, you know, Sea Tally Run has just been a labor of love. years. We started out as a YouTube channel. We actually did some highlight reels and, um, we actually did a a race course preview for grandma's one year. Um, but it is something that kind of fills my cup. You know, I, I am somebody that really kind of thrives off of hearing other people excited about life and, and whether that's running or skiing or whatever it is, it's usually something active. That's the story I want to tell. I want to tell people that it doesn't mean you have to be the best of the best. Just being able to set your mind on something and going for it—that fuels me too. So if that conversation can fuel me, I hope it fuels other people. So um, it's been it's been a labor of love, like I said. I have a hard time asking for sponsorships, which that's usually what the podcast world does now, right? Is they make a business out of it. That's not what it's about for me. It's just about sharing stories and. And it's also been really good for my broadcast career, because when I do interview elites, then I really get the inside scoop of what they're doing, who they are, the fun that they're having in the sport, the heartache that they're having in the sport. So, um, yeah, I think when you come to my show, you'll see a wide variety of subjects. It's not just the elites. A lot of times I will get them because I'm around them a lot. But, you know, just last week I had a phenomenal story about a woman that was hit by a bus and her dad wrote a book about it. She was hit by a bus thrown 25 meters, and she came back to the sport. Now she's running an Ironman this uh, fall with her dad. You know, like those stories. They just lift us up, and they remind us that getting outside and being able to walk or run or swim or bike or whatever you do, it's sort of a blessing, and and hopefully we all get to do it at some point in our life.
0: What a delight to talk to you. Thank you so much. Uh, I, uh, I find you simply inspiring and uh long may you wave that flag.
1: Oh, I love speaking with you too and I tell you what Peter, everyone loves hearing your voice. So <laughs> it's just been an honor.
0: Well, I'm I'm honored. Okay. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks so much to our guest Carrie Tullifson. Uh you'll certainly hear more uh from her in the build up to Grandma's Weekend 2023. In the meantime, make sure you check out, as noted, her podcast at Sea Tally Run. This gearing up for Grandma's podcast is brought to you by Essentia Health. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Please subscribe, rate us, and tell your friends. Grandma's Marathon is proudly presented by Toyota, Members Cooperative Credit Union, and ASICs. For all of us at Grandma's Marathon, I'm Peter Graves. Have a wonderful day and we'll talk again. So long.